If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, winners? You know, I haven't said that in a long time. What's up, winners? I used to say it all the time. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, if you're an old school listener, you know that that's how I always used to start off every podcast. I'll tell you, the premise of that is right before this, when you hear the intro music, I got that voiceover guy who who did my uh, intro, and that's in the dialogue. He goes, if you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. So that's why I would address you. What's up, winners? You're listening to podcasts, so therefore you are a winner. But anyway, I stopped doing it kind of a while ago, at least, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago. And the reason why I stopped doing it is because I felt like it was a little bit cheesy and corny, which it is, but it's also kind of the alert to it. But anyway, I stopped doing it, and my son was in my home studio a couple days ago. He was imitating me and mocking me. He took the microphone, and he goes, what's up, winners? I said, dude, I don't say that shit anymore. And he goes, well, why not? First of all, I'm like, well, obviously you don't listen to the podcast from your own father because you didn't know that I stopped saying that. Exactly. I don't know. I just felt like it was a little bit corny. He goes, well, corny's good. It sounds right. What's up, winners? And he kept saying it over and over. It's all right, man. I'll go back to it. So that's what I'm doing right now. Back to the old catchphrase. What's up, winners? Welcome to episode 160 of the Moranalytics podcast presented today, by the way, from our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Friday, October 11, 2019. Thank you as always for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, that is a catchphrase, by the way, please go ahead and do so right now. All right. So coming up on the pod today, I got Two things for you. I'll be talking some Buffalo Sabres, who, by the way, they're off to a blazing 3-0-1 start right now. That's surprising to many people. Count myself among those. Actually, to be honest with you, I'm more than surprised. I'm kind of shocked. Did not think they were going to be very good at all. They are. Well, you know what? It's too early to say that. Maybe they're not going to be good. But one thing I could tell early on is that they're not going to be boring. So anyway, I'll be joined by... Die by the Blade managing editor and co-host of their podcast, Chad D. Dominicis. We'll talk about that power play, which, by the way, that power play looks so good. It looks like a video game power play right now. We'll talk about that. Jack Eichel looking like an elite center that he's supposed to be. The guy that the team literally tanked for a full season not too long ago. We'll talk about Victor Olofsson's early emergence. I think he's got four goals already on the season. Uh Pumping the brakes a little bit on Rasmus Dahlin, at least a little bit anyway. Some concern over Carter Hutton and Net. At least I have concerns over Carter Hutton and Net. What's going on with Vladimir Saboka? Still don't understand why he's on that second line. Much more. Chad's an insightful guy, a really good dude, so I'm looking forward to that. And also, I still can't get over how Buffalo Bills fans, actually, you know, it's not Buffalo Bills fans, this is Buffalo. It's Bill's Mafia, I should say. Bill's Mafia, how they went down to Nashville last weekend and, like, literally took the town over. They took over the stadium. They took over the clubs. They took over the restaurants. They took over the parking lots. They took over everything. For all I know, maybe they took over the country music scene as well. Shit, man. 
Anyway, I wanted to hear a couple of first-hand stories, a couple of first-person accounts of their experiences last week. So I got a couple of listeners, and I wanted to hear their stories. I taped conversations with them. I talked to a guy named Charlie. I talked to a Bills fan named Jack. And then last, and certainly not least, I had a fun little chat with one of my favorite people, one of my favorite Buffalo Bills fans, one of my favorite Bills wifeys out there, Shelby Waddle. She was in Nashville last weekend along with her hubby, Adrian, to enjoy the game as well as take care of a little charity business. I talked to her about last weekend. I checked in to see how L.A. is recovering from his knee injury. Also, we talk about the Waddles Warrior Foundation. Really good stuff right there. I, I love Shelby Waddle. You know, we didn't do it on air for this interview other than maybe take a few subtle pot shots at Tennessee Titan fans, who, by the way, they're the worst. But I think... From talking to her off-air several times, DM, stuff like that, I feel like me and Shelby Waddle could probably do a podcast where we did, like, literally nothing but talk shit about other people, and it would be fun. Hell, maybe it'd be more fun than doing this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, got both those segments coming up for you in just a second. Quickly, though, before I dive into today's episode, the Analytics Podcast YouTube channel is up. It's going now. Besides highlight clips, which I've been doing from current and past episodes. I'm also starting to bang out some audio exclusive content. You're only going to find it on the YouTube channel. Nowhere else. We're calling it Analytics Podcast Extras. Over the past couple days, I've had up content about, I had one clip where thoughts on Zay Jones being traded. I had another one, five underrated reasons why the Bills were able to beat Tennessee last Sunday. I had a Sabres piece up there as well. And I'm going to be dropping a handful of these exclusive extra content videos, well, audio content, I should say, every week, every single week. So go hit up YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast. The channel will come up. Hit that red subscribe button down just below the videos, that little bell right next to it, and you'll get notifications when new content is released. You'll be good to go. I'm telling you, I'm going to put a lot of effort and a lot of work into that channel. I enjoy doing it. I'll also have some wrestling stuff some podcasting stuff, just some general human interest stuff, some pop culture, TV stuff like that. So you will not be disappointed. Again, Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Go subscribe to that. And on that note, let's dive into today's podcast. It is a good one. First up, Chad D. Domenicis with some Sabres talk. And that's followed by a chat with a few Bills fans who were in Tennessee last week, topped off by Shelby Waddle. Let's do it. All right, I'm joined right now, recurring guest, managing editor of Die by the Blade, a Buffalo Sabres blog on the SB Nation Network, and also co-host of Beyond the Blade, the podcast, Chad D. Domenicis. What's going on, Chad? How you doing, buddy? What's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. You know what? Before we start talking some hockey, I've had you on a couple times, but I've never asked you this before. I'm a hard-hitting investigative journalist, man. I'm an award-winning podcaster, <laughs> future award-winning podcaster. So i got to ask you the tough questions right here. Your last name, D. Domenicis, it flows right off my tongue. It's natural. I actually know someone who's unrelated to you. I asked you this before. Unrelated to you. So I know the name well, but did it ever get frustrating? How many, what's the percentage of people that actually, the first time you hear them say your name, that get it correct? Oh, man, low, low, low percentage. Um, Even like sometimes when I go on, like, what's how do you say your name again? And I say it, and then... 15 seconds later, they still get it wrong. So it's, it's pretty low. <laughs> I, hear hard, you, so I understand. Well, it's tough, you know, in today's 
generation's not getting any smarter either. My last name's Moran. It's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty reasonably easy name to say, but like I sit in the stands for my son's football games. Every time he makes a play or something, the announcer still says Morin. So yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. But anyway, D Diminisis, man, I love the flow of that name. It's a sweet, that's a smooth name. I like it. I like it. It goes good. Right. It's a hockey name. Let's, speaking of hockey, let's actually <laughs> talk about some hockey. That's the real reason why I got you on the podcast. I'll tell you what, I was planning on getting you on the pod to chat some Sabres early in the season, regardless of how the team looks starting out the season. But I got to admit, man, the tone of this is something I certainly did not see coming about a week or so ago. Buffalo's 3-0 or 3-0-1 after the first four. And dare I say, good. I mean, perhaps premature for that declaration, but certainly a promising start, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I'm on the same page as you are. Now, this is, <laughs> if you listen to my podcast or followed me and what I wrote about, this is not what I expected either. I mean, again, it's four games, so it's not, you know, playing any parades yet, but it's, you know, it's a very good start. And the thing that's different than last year with that 10 game winning streak, where there was more luck and they were coming back and they were winning a lot in overtime, uh, they're actually like the better team in this game when they're on, and so far this season. And so every game they've pretty much been the better team besides Columbus. Uh, the Montreal game is pretty even, but beyond that, I mean, they've dominated. So, you know, it's the underlying numbers are good. So it, it, it shows that there's the possibility of sustainability. They continue to play at this level. I guess that's the question now. Can they continue to play at this level? Does the fourth or third line or whatever, the Larson line, I had to call them by like lines by names now because the third and fourth line kind of mix around. But right. the Larson line, you know, they're, they're arguably the best line on the team, which is crazy. Uh, Eichel is, Eichel and Reinhardt are going right off the start. Olsen is going to have like 55 goals this year. I mean, Darlene, he's not playing his best hockey, but he has seven points in four games. Rest of the line looks like he's not a mess. Yoki Haru has fixed Scandella, it appears so far. So, and the coaching looks like the coaching is getting through. The new system's working out well. They're buying into it. They're playing it well. So, through four games, and we add all of this in, a lot of the things that needed to happen, you know, the coaching to come through, players that have career years, the power play to be outstanding for you to beat a lot of these projections early in the season. So far through four games, that is what is happening right now. What's most impressive to me is that not so much the early good start. That's not completely shocking, although I am surprised. But to me, it's more like the manner and how they're doing. So I've watched three of the four games so far in their entirety. I didn't get a chance to watch most of the Columbus game. This team's not boring at all. That's the thing that's impressing me the most. I mean, last year... Even when they were winning, I mean, it's never boring to win. So maybe that's not the best turn to say. But the games weren't on the edge. The team didn't feel like I was on the edge of my seat watching them carry the puck, watching them cycle the puck, move around, skate, fly around when they were winning. This is when they were winning. I mean, obviously, when everything went bad last year, they almost became insufferable to watch. But, again, only four (laughs) games in, I get it, small sample size. But what I'm saying is this team's pretty exciting right now. They're fun to watch. This isn't boring at all. Well, yeah, I mean, they added, you know, they added puck movers, right? They added defenseman Yoki Haru. Colin Miller has been fantastic. You know, I mean, those are two real nice puck movers. And don't forget, they're without Brandon Montour right now, who's another good puck mover who should do really well in this system. So when he comes back in a few weeks, and then you add Marcus Johansson, who can distribute the puck pretty close to Eichel's level, and then he has the ability to, you know, carry the puck to the neutral zone too. Like, he's done with Skinner, and Skinner hasn't missed a beat being without Eichel because of how good Johansson is, the same thing Eichel's is good at. So it's, you know, it's a lot of good things the new players have added are meshing well. Outside of Jimmy VC, every player they've added to this roster has started off playing extremely well, and that's encouraging. Yeah, I will, I'll tell you what, I was incredibly skeptical of 
Jeff Skinner being on a different line with that without Jack Eichel. And I get it. You can't put Skinner, Jack, and Sam on the same line like right. last year yeah. because it's just too much. It's too <clears throat> top-heavy. So I get that. But anyway, you're paying the guy a shitload of money. He scores 40 goals this year. I felt like it was almost like a setup for failure with him this year, I, especially considering Marcus Johansson really hasn't played much center, not in a while mm-hmm. anyway. But it seems to me like, and again, you're much more of a hockey guy than I am admittedly, but – it seems like them two have really good chemistry. Skinner's already got three goals. Johansson's already got two. I still don't care for Saboka on that line. We'll talk about that in a second. I can't wait for something to happen where he's not on that line with them <laughs> two anymore. And I know that's the easy thing to say. He's the whipping boy. I get it. But my whole point of this is Skinner and, and Marcus Johansson have some pretty good chemistry. And I'm maybe my, uh, my skepticism on Jeff Skinner early in the year could be unfounded. Yeah, I mean, Skinner's done it all. You know, last year he was with Eichel, so he had that career year. And, you know, Eichel's distribution of the puck, and then the way Eichel shoots the puck, and the way Skinner cleans up, you know, that worked for him. That's why he scored 40 goals. Where this year, you know, Johansson kind of, is a, I guess, had a lot of those similar things. He's an excellent primary shot contributor. That's one of the things I, I wrote about when they signed him, and he's really good at that. We've seen his vision with, you know, with the puck on his stick, being able to find Skinner in multiple games now. So, and then again, his ability to enter the zone with possession. That's, that's something that Skinner can do, but he more relies on, you know, his center or his other winger to do that. So having those attributes from a, from a center, you know, that can help Skinner continue to fill the net. I mean, that's, that's fantastic if you can continue to keep Skinner's production high. I don't know if he's going to score 40 goals again, but I mean, it's very easy for him to score 30 or maybe even get near 40 again. So then when you have that line going and then you know Eichel and Reinhardt and Olofsson are going to continue to pop in pucks in that first line. Then you just need one of those two other lines to pop in some secondary scoring, and you're right on your way there. I mean, this is a team that, if I'm not mistaken, either leading the league or top three in the league in scoring right now. So if you can get those things going, and again, this just shows everything in the numbers shows that this model, if they continue to play this level, is sustainable to win games and be a competitive team the entire season. It's just a question of can they continue to play at the level, basically. What's up with the power play? I remember... It wasn't too long ago where I used to cringe whenever Buffalo went on the power play. Not now, though. I mean, they did give up a shorty to Montreal on Wednesday, but I feel like this power play right now is exciting to watch. Again, I keep using the word exciting as opposed to boring. It's almost like must-watch TV. It's like the old-school NBC Thursday night TV lineup with Cosby Show, (laughs) Family Ties, Cheers, and the Sabres power play. I mean, that first goal that they scored on Wednesday night, holy shit, that was amazing with that all of a sudden finished off. They're really good. What's clicked right on this power play right now? Well, I mean, it's the talent level is one thing. I mean, now you have Darlene, Eichel, Reinhardt, Skinner, Olsen. I mean, really, a lot of teams in the past have been able just to key on Eichel. And if you remember, say, retired play pass, it would just basically be trying to get Eichel open and have him have those Steven Stamco shots on that one spot. And he, while it went in sometimes, he wasn't that accurate with it. Right. Well, now they have a second sniper in Olsen. So now teams have to be aware of the players on each side. So the difference in the power play this year is, and it was pretty evident in the first goal on Wednesday, is, you know, that last year that shot, that pass, before Eichel threw it over to Olsen to score, he shoots that last year. But this year he knows he has that sniper across, so he's distributing the puck more because he knows he has that guy who has that open lane. He has that sniper on the other end. So now teams have to somehow figure out a way to, control both of them, and then what will happen is they start to cheat towards Olofsson more. It's going to open up the ice for Skinner more in the middle, potentially. So it's an extremely dangerous unit. They're using a lot more of the cross-ice passes this year where they did not use a lot of last year. A lot of last year was 
it was a similar one three one setup, but it was more on the umbrella, the top of the you know, the power play with it was Ristolainen mostly Eichel and then it kind of rotated between Oposo and Middlestad the other side where it was just basically one timers either Ristolainen or Eichel the entire time. Where now they're using more cross ice passes, they're getting the defense off balance, they're getting them moving around a lot out of position, and they're moving the puck so quickly with that talent that it's it's an extremely dangerous unit and I don't know they're going to continue to click at 60-70%, but right. it would not stun me at all this is a top three unit at the end of the year. Eichel's already got four goals, seven points in the first four games. As we take this right now, he's second in the NHL in scoring. Feels to me like this is the year where he's going to put everything together if he can stay healthy. Ralph Kruger talked about him Thursday after practice, and he said that the guy's still sort I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's still kind of scratching the surface of what he could become. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it last year, you know, when they were winning and before we had that uh, injury in like January, I believe he was playing at an MVP caliber pace. I mean, he legitimately was in the MVP conversation going into January. And then he had that injury. He missed like three or four games. He really was never the same after that. I mean, we don't really know what the injury was. It was an upper body injury. We'll probably never know. Um, but he just never felt the same after that. Well, now he's playing back at that level again, like he was prior to that injury last season. He's he all over the ice. I, I know he probably had a rough night in Columbus. That was maybe a really tough night for him. But beyond that, the other three games, he's been incredible. And, I mean, that goal, that third goal he had against Montreal, he just picked up the puck and said, okay, I'm going to go score now. Just went coast to coast, yeah. took on three defenders, just shot it and scored. So when he's feeling that confident, when he's feeling that good, you know, it, it, it's dangerous. And then when you have two players like Olsen, who maybe needs to work on his five-on-five stuff, but when you have Sam Reinhardt there and Sam Reinhardt's in a contract year and he's looks like he's hitting that next level of his game, I mean, that that's a really dangerous top line they're going to have, and it, it's pretty impressive. You hit on Olofsson. Dude's a sniper. I mean, he's got four goals already. Obviously, he's not going to continue this pace. He's on pace for 82 goals right now. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But realistically, thinking right now, what you're seeing from him, playing on that top line with Eichel, being on the first unit of the power play right now, if he can stay healthy, what do you think his ceiling is goal-wise? Yeah, I mean, it keeps going up. It was hard to see. I said 25, then the first game it was like 35, second game it was like 45. I think I'm at like 55, 60 goals now. But no, I mean, realistically, <laughs> you know, it's, I, realistically, if he keeps this up, I think he can be a 25 to 30 goal scorer this year. But the thing is what you need to see is all of his scoring is coming on the power play. You right. need to see something at five on five. Uh, he really didn't play that well five on five against Montreal, so much so that the last seven, seven minutes of the third period, he was actually put on the bench, and VC and Skinner kind of rotated through in that top line. So I, I think it, it's maybe part of a learning curve. Remember, this is a seventh-round pick after all. Uh, we know how good he is on the power play and how dangerous, how lethal he can be, and he can make a living doing that. I mean, Patrick Liney makes a living doing that. So, you know, Olsen can be a similar player. Now, you want Olsen to be more impactful at five-on-five, five, and maybe they kind of take it slow and have to wait for that to come. But I think if he can add anything a little bit more or at least – marginally more at five on five than what he's given so far. I mean that he can his limits to score goals can be off the charts with how how well he can play on the power play. And anytime the puck ends up on his ice, I mean on a stick, excuse me, you know, I think he's a score a goal. So I mean if he just can find the open space, find those areas where he can let Reinhardt and let Eichel find him and just shoot it, because that really is his job is just to shoot the puck in the net. Right. You know, i I think his ceiling can be pretty high. Rasmus Dahlin, seven points already. He leads all defensemen in the NHL. However, the stats look great, but he also struggled some against Montreal. I saw one of your tweets about that. What's your evaluation right now of him in year two through four games? Well, that's the crazy part. He's 
in my opinion, he's not playing that well, but he's still producing. So only yeah. imagine where it's going to go when he starts playing well and he starts clicking. So I think there's some things. I think he's a little sloppy away from the puck still. Uh, I think he needs to work on that. You know, it, it's a confidence thing to feel the puck thing too. It takes it takes one game to kind of get that back. You know, the player with as special as he is, he could have played as bad as he played against Montreal, but it takes one play for him to do something special and win a game for you. Yeah. So as as bad as he played, you need to keep just running him out there, running him out there, running him out there because let him grow, let him learn, but he has the talent to do one special thing to win your hockey game. So, again, it, it hasn't been the best start overall for him, but I'm not concerned at all. And then again, the production is still coming, so – I can only imagine where it's going to go if he continues continues this. I want to talk about a couple of the embattled vets, guys that have really taken a beating in the media and fans over the past season or two. Yeah, Scandella, Larson, Gergesons, Saboka, I guess Akposo as well. Whether they're good or bad, they always seem to be the whipping post for fans. It's so easy to blame all the time, like especially like Saboka, just an example. Anytime anything goes wrong, I think I blame the guy. You don't even have to be playing. <laughs> Somehow, some way, I end up blaming him for all the problems. Now, Ralph Kruger did talk about that fourth line with Larson, Gergeson, and Akposa. He said that's the only line this season that has played good in every game. So yep. they must be playing well. What about Saboka? What are you seeing from him right now, good or bad, as well as Scandella? Uh, I guess I'll start with Saboka. So it's... He's not really careful here. It, he's... He's not playing as bad as he was last season, but remember, he was statistically the worst forward in the entire sport last season. Exactly, so, Chad, Chad. That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, he's better than last year. That's like saying the Buffalo Bills offensive line is better than the line from last right. year. But when you got the bar that low, there's not that's not really saying much. Yeah, right. And it, you know, it's, it's impressive that Skinner and Johansson are doing as well as they're doing with him on the line because it's just there's just no. He doesn't have any offense in him, basically. It's funny. You look, look at the expected goal percentages. Like I think Skinner and Johansson right now are both around 60%. Well, if you look at Saboka, he's at like 45%. So, like, it's just, it's odd to see that, but it's because he just he has no offense in his game. I understand he does some things nice things away from the puck. He, he has some nice traits defensively, but I feel like as every game has gone on here, he's got a little bit worse. And I feel like Montreal might have honestly been one of his worst games, if not the Columbus game, the last two. So while, yes, I'll give you he's not as bad as last season, there's just it's, it's just not working. I don't think he fits in that line. I think you're going to want somebody else there long-term. Now, right now with Shiri out, you kind of really can't do anything, and every, everything else is kind of rolling pretty smoothly, so you don't want to mess with anything. But long-term of the season, you're going to want him off of there, and I don't know where you're going to put him because you really don't want him with middle stat if middle stat's still here. You don't want to put him on that fourth line because that's going so well. So I don't know. Maybe when they're healthy, Rodriguez stays, Sherry goes in, and he's bumped out. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. With Scandella, it's extremely interesting because this is a lot, I think, of Henry Yokiharu playing a play, playing into this. Uh, you know, that kid has been impressive so far. He's, he's moves the puck so well. He's such a smart player. He's doesn't show any panic in his game. He steps up. He does not give up the blue line in the offensive blue line, which is impressive. He knows when to pinch. That uh, I think it was the second goal, maybe the fourth. I think it was the fourth goal. Uh, he stepped up on the Canadiens player, knocked the puck loose. It went to Johansson. Johansson fed Skinner four two savers. Yokiharu started that play. That play would not have happened if right. Yokiharu was stepping up at the blue line and forcing that turnover. So you know, Scandella looks like a whole new player, and he's deferring to Yokiharu. And what I mean by that 
in situations where he's stuck, he's no longer forcing the puck up the wall and turning it over. He's getting it to his defense partner. So I think he understands how well a Yoki Haru is at exiting the zone and getting the rush right up the ice that he's deferring to him. He's getting the puck to him as much as he can, especially when he's in trouble. And so far that has done wonders for that pair. Besides the Columbus game, where they were pretty bad, but it was more Scandella than Yoki Haru. If you look at like the shot chart, it's funny that all the shots came on the left side, Scandella side, and like almost none on the right side. But the other three games, that is arguably on their best pair. So it's interesting. And if this kid can do that with Scandella's numbers and make him you know, be what he is, it'll be interesting when Pilot is back and when Montour is back, what's going to go here? Because as well as Scandella's going right now, I still think if you can put Pilot there, that could be even better. And that kind of gets to an overall conversation where we are right now that as well as the team is playing – you don't be afraid to make moves that make your team better because it's okay to do that. And that can be a pilot when he's healthy. That can be putting Rodriguez and Sherry and taking Saboka out or maybe even calling somebody up if you have to to take Saboka out. While things are going good, you could still try to improve your roster and they shouldn't be afraid of that. I was going to ask you that. When Brandon Montour comes back, what happens with him? Because obviously he's going to be in the lineup. And now that could still be some time away. And there the odds say that somebody's going to be... And when right. somebody will have some injury, but let's just say for the sake of discussion, man, all six of these defensemen who are currently playing, they're all healthy right now. That that becomes an issue. Who do you think's the odd guy out? Is it Yoki? Is it, is it Scandella? I would right now. I would say Scandella, and they'll put Yoki Hart on the left side. I, I think as well as Yoki Hart was playing, you can't take him out. And I and I know Yoki Haru is ahead of Scandella in uh, Kruger's mind because the Columbus game, when they were trying and trying to get back in the game. Scandella is the one that sit and Yoki Haru was one that was rotating through, um, you know, with, I think it was with Mc, when McCabe was out or somebody else was sitting, but he was rotating through on that top pair, trying to get him back in the game. So I, I think it would be Scandella that comes out and they put Yoki Haru on the left side, which he doesn't love, but he'll do it. But I, I still think, I don't know. I mean, like you said, somebody could get hurt. Something could happen. Maybe Winnipeg somehow gets desperate or somebody else and Rich Linden's moved by the end of October. We'll see again. I don't think they should fear that happening still either. But yeah, it's going to be super interesting because I think Montour is like still like three weeks away, so you never know what could happen. Somebody could go into a slump or get hurt, but I guess we'll kind of see when that time comes. Last thing I wanted to hit on is the goaltending. I, you know, this is probably the unpopular opinion. I'm not sure. I don't know what it is. I'm 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 just I'm not completely sold on Carter Hudden right now, and I'd like to see a little more of Linus Olmark. Now, I know Hudden's stats look perfectly fine right now, I don't know. Am I being paranoid? Am I overthinking it with him? Is he perfectly fine in net right now? There's only one or two goals that you're kind of like, eh, maybe I want to save there. Um, maybe it was that uh, that fourth Montreal goal. Like, I don't know. Can you give me a save there? Yeah, you got to you know, make that so, save. But... Right. I mean, I understand he's screened, but kind of just make one play for me kind of deal. That's how I've always felt with Hutton, where he'll make a lot of saves. He'll do a lot of nice things. But kind of when crunch time, I, I need you to make that save for me. I, I, I don't get it very often. So, so far, he's been fine. Allmark had that really good game against Columbus. To be honest, my, you know, belief in either of them wasn't very high going into the season. I think it's one of the biggest problems the Sabres have going into the season. I mean, they, they statistically were two of the worst goaltending, goaltenders in the league last year. So you need a, a very large improvement for them to be a better team this year and to be a competitive team. So, so far so good, but I, I just, I need to see the consistency from Allmark. You know, he can't have one good game. The next game goes and he struggles for two, and then he has a good game. And then struggles for three, and then has a good game. Like, you got to find the consistency. This is a big year for Omar. This is his year to take this job or 
he's going to start feeling the whispers of Luka in behind him because that kid looks legit. And I know he's a hip injury and that kind of is going to slow down development a little bit for him. But, you know, he's not too far away from being ready. He is legit. So this is a big year for all marks to be a restricted free agent. We'll see what happens. But for now, four games in, uh, the goaltender looks it's okay, it's fine, but we'll kind of monitor it and see how it goes. Last thing here, talk about your podcast for a second. People know you mainly from your work with Die by the Blade, but tell tell the fans a little bit about the podcast. Do you, and by the way, do you like podcasting or writing better? Is podcasting something that you really enjoy doing, or does it feel like just part of the gig? Because I know there's varying people. I know a lot of people who do both writing and podcasting, and it kind of varies. It goes both ways. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, I, I do enjoy the podcasting. I really do. It, it, but when it comes to writing a podcast, I guess it more kind of feels like what flow you're in. You know, I mean, some like there's, you know, being a writer, when you get in a groove as a writer and you're just like popping out things, ideas keep popping in your head and go and go and go, you know, that that's really easy. But the same thing can be for podcasting. When you feel like you've had a good show and then you want to follow it up and follow it up and follow it up. Right. And then, and there's a lot to talk about, you know, that that's kind of interesting. So, you know, having Anthony and Bill on, on there, you know, we have a good rapport between all of us. You know, it, it's good conversations. You have fun doing it. It's, you know, it's not too serious. But, you know, we, we just we just basically want to have a conversation and we try to incorporate what the fans are, I think, as much as we can into it by asking for fan questions and talking about that. So kind of trying to talk about the hot topics, stay relevant. But, um, no, I mean, I'm, I, mean I, I don't really honestly prefer one over the other. I enjoy them both. Uh, the writing part of it takes longer because you have to put the more research into it and then literally write it out where a podcast, you can just go for 60 minutes and edit it and then you're done. Yep. Yep. The writing can take up to a couple hours to days <laughs> yeah, to get oh, done yeah. completely. So podcasting is easier in a way to get the content out quicker. Um, but really, I enjoy them both. So it's kind of whatever mood I'm in, I guess, is the one I prefer, depending on the time. Dude, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a confession. I blogged for a very long time. I did a lot of writing. Half the reason why I started a podcast is because I was too lazy to want to have to do a lot of research <laughs> and write anymore. You're 100% right. You get some thoughts, you write down an outline, you get in a nice little flow, and you bang out a podcast, do your editing, and bam, it's up there. Writing is yeah. a lot more work, man. I'm kind of lazy at this point in my life, I guess. <laughs> one thing I do, like, seriously, I, I enjoy your podcast a lot. I also... There's not as many quality Sabres podcasts out there as there are Buffalo Bills-related podcasts. Much respect to my buddies who got a bunch of Bills. There's a lot of good Bills podcasts out there, but that's kind of the problem in a way, too. It's like there's so many of them. There's not as many Sabres ones. So that's why I get locked in on yours a lot more easier, man. And you guys do a really good job. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Chris does the two in the box one. It's a really nice podcast. So that's sure. his. I enjoy that. So that, that's that's nice. The Charging Buffalo one's pretty is pretty good, too. So, you know, there's... There's some newer ones coming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, those are two of my other favorite Saber podcasts. But I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate the kind words. All right, everyone. Give Chad a follow on Twitter at CMDDeminisys. And, of course, check out Die by the Blade on SB Nation as well as the Beyond the Blade podcast. I'll put links in the show notes to all that stuff as well. Thanks a lot, Chad. Good chat. Yeah, anytime, Pat. Hi, I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the podcast about broadcast. Every week since 2016, we've been bringing on broadcast leaders to talk about their experiences in radio, what they've seen, and where they believe it is all going. If you live and love radio, subscribe to the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Kundal wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, I'm joined right now by Buffalo Bills fan Charlie Callahan. What's going on, Charlie? How you doing? Hey, Patrick. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Where in Western New York do you live? Uh, I'm actually down in the Elmwood Village. Oh, okay. I grew up on the west side, not too far from there at all. Kind of same neighborhood. Many, many years ago. How long have you been a Bills fan for, Charlie? Oh, man. Ever since I've been alive. So 29 years, man. 29 years. <laughs> That's cool. What would you consider to this point? I mean, obviously you weren't around for the... uh the best year is the golden era of Buffalo Bills football, but since you can remember, since you've been a fan, what have been uh, one or two of your favorite Buffalo Bills memories to this point? Uh, it's it's got to be uh, ending the drought and going to the playoffs. Um, I remember being out and how crazy the town was. I mean, uh, spontaneously just kind of booked flights actually to Jacksonville because at the time we weren't sure if it was going to be Jacksonville or Kansas City, so I had one friend uh, buy the hotel room and uh, game tickets for uh, Kansas City, and I bought the flights to Jacksonville. We figured we would just trade off once whatever one came out. So it's all spontaneous. It was probably the best moment, but the game was actually terrible. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the outcome that Bills fans wanted, but they get to see a playoff game, and that's pretty cool. Let me ask you this. How many road trips have you been on? That was actually my first and only away game, so this is my second one of the uh, Nashville game. So, Oh, that's cool. Who did you end up going down to Nashville with? Uh, my buddy Tommy and I actually, uh, we tried getting it going for a few months, but no one really wanted to pull the trigger. So, um, about two weeks ago, we decided we we're going to do this, but the flights are outrageous. So we decided we we're just going to drive down there for it. How long of a haul is that? Oh, it's 10 and a half hours. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me when I tell you this, dude, I'm in Florida now. I spent my whole life in Buffalo. So my road trips consist of about 20 hours and that's just straight driving. That's not even counting pit stops or staying over somewhere for a night. So, yeah, I know all yeah. about those long road trips. Um, Is it through, like, Ohio into yeah. Kentucky? All right. So, yeah, I, I know that route. Wasn't a big yeah. fan of the trip, though. It is a long-ass trip. But you probably you probably had a lot of excitement at least going there. The trip there is always more fun than coming back home, of course. Oh, absolutely. So the way there was uh, we only stopped about once. We uh, went straight through almost to Louisville. We stopped there, and that was actually a great city. Sure. I've been um, there. Stopped, we stopped at this place um, called Troll Under the Bridge Pub or something, and we just had a couple. We, had, we only had about one drink each, and we had some food and then kind of recharged and got there late Friday night. The, the worst part of the trip was the way home, actually. There was uh, about an hour out in Nashville. We left at probably 7.30 in the morning on Monday morning. Um, a semi-truck exploded on the thruway, and it was standstill traffic, pretty much like a parking lot for about two hours. So, you know, we've obviously read out drinking all day and a little hungover and we had to sit there in the on the uh, interstate there for two hours which added two hours to our trip where was this <laughs> where did this happen about an hour north of nashville so the main route out of there on the way back up it it, it was just a standstill for two hours no one knew what was going on to turn the thruway into a parking lot oh wow so when you got yeah. to nashville you got there late friday where did you and your buddy stay so uh we had some friends um they moved there about two, three years ago. Uh, we stayed there Friday night with them. They kind of showed us the ropes of how to go out and stuff. And um, then we got a place called uh, Fieldhouse Jones, which is a hotel room, um, kind of, I would say, kind of near the stadium, probably about a 10-minute walk from the uh, stadium. So we stayed there the last two nights we were there. That's cool. What were some of the funnest or craziest shit that you saw when you were around? I'm not talking about the game itself, just being in Nashville. <laughs> what was the vibe like in Nashville? I'm sure – a lot of fans there, a lot of residents, I should say, of Nashville, they're probably, I'm sure they, they're they used to, because it's a pretty transient town, so I'm sure they're used to fans trekking down from other cities when teams play there, but I'm nothing like Buffalo. What, did you feel like they're looking around like, what the hell is going on in our city right now? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of them were uh, definitely taken back by it. We, we talked to one bartender at um, one of the bars down there on Broadway, and we, you know, we asked them what their thoughts were, and they said they were a resident for the, you know, the past 10, 15 years, and said that the craziest they've ever seen it was probably an Eagles game whenever they played them. I don't know if it was last year or maybe a couple of years before, but they said they probably thought there was probably around 15, 20,000 Eagles fans. So we kind of blew that one out of the waters. I think when I looked at the numbers, someone said they – there's about 38,000 or something Bills fans there. Yeah. So, so I mean, that was crazy. And I mean, other than that, it was just really cool to see red, white, and blue all over like the four or five story bars around Broadway. And there's really wasn't any Titans colors whatsoever. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, it's one thing to go to a, like a Bills backer bar or just whatever. You get a bunch of people from Buffalo and you kind of turn it into a party. But from what I'm understanding, what I've seen some videos on Twitter and stuff, I know Sal Capaccio posted some stuff. It legitimately looked like, an authentic Buffalo Bills Mafia takeover in the city of Nashville at some of these places. Am I right? Oh, it, it really was. And, you know, the, the craziest stuff was, you know, when you obviously on Broadway, that's where kind of everyone went out and everything. But inside the stadium, you looked around, it was pretty much a 50-50 split of just red, white, and blue. And then, like, you know, the lighter blue Titans colors. But the coolest thing was when you left, we left the stadium, obviously, most of the Bills fans stuck around to cheer after the game was over. They have a pedestrian bridge that goes over the main river back towards Broadway. And it's probably about a quarter mile long. And all you could see from, you know, from that one end to the other was just red, white, and blue Bills colors walking back. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter, I believe. That was a great scene. I saw the images of that kind of inspired me a little bit to want to do this segment for this podcast. What about the stadium itself in Nashville? What were your thoughts on their stadium? It, uh, the stadium itself was pretty cool. I mean, I still like the, you know, they call it the Ralph, but you no know, new era better. It's, uh, stadium was cool. It's, it's just, uh, definitely a different experience being in another city. Now watching it on television, it felt to me like a neutral crowd. I'm sure maybe being in the stadium, did it feel to you like there was as many Bills fans as there were Tennessee fans? Oh yeah. Um, How are the Tennessee fans, by the way? They they can't like that. No, I mean, honestly, most of them are pretty pretty nice to us. We had a couple behind us that were kind of, you know, they were, we were going back and forth, heckling back and forth, but it was all out of you know, love and respect. You know, nothing, nothing too crazy that I really picked up on. It was uh, really cool, though, like on third downs, and especially in the fourth quarter for Tennessee. Just, I would say the stadium was just as loud as it was for us as it was for them. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> crazy, man. What were uh... – were you involved in any Sunday morning pregame shenanigans? A little bit of tailgating before the game? Uh, a little bit. Uh, so the friend I went down with, his family went down there. They had rented an actual a, a bus. They're from Buffalo, but they live in Atlanta now. So they had like a small van. They went down there and tailgated pretty early. But I, um, the rest of my friends that were there were on Broadway. So I met them up there to kind of tailgate, have a few drinks and some breakfast and stuff. But nothing too crazy like it is in Orchard Park. It was more tame just because of the – I think lack of parking lots, and there was more of a bar pregame. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you. One of my last questions here. So now you've been to another stadium on the road, and, you know, a lot of these stadiums around the NFL, they're really nice, but they're not. In terms of tailgating that whole entire experience, you know, Buffalo might not have the greatest stadium in the world, but it feels like New York Field in that area is just built for party, and, of course, Bill's Mafia does it up better than anyone else, but those Places like in Orchard Park, there's just so much open area to party, whereas a lot of these other places, it's not as conducive to actual tailgating like it is in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So it's, it's crazy is that, you know, I mean, the game was an hour earlier, so it was a noon kickoff instead of one. But, you know, we were talking to locals and everything. They asked what time we were going to get up and tailgate, and we were like, you know, we'll probably get up at 6.30, 7, and head over there, and they thought that was crazy. 
And we're like, well, that's normal standard procedure back in Buffalo. You wake up early, you go there, you know, get the grill out, some food, and then just get ready for the game. But, you know, they all expect to just kind of go somewhere maybe an hour before, have a couple of drinks, and just walk over. <laughs> Last question here, man. I really appreciate your yeah. time, Charlie. Yeah. Looking back now, is it was it worth it, man? Is it worth that trip? Is it worth the traffic? Is it worth the money? Did you have a good time? Would you do it again? A hundred percent. I would do it again. It was worth the 750 miles, whatever it was, and all the money I spent. And probably one of the best weekends of my life. I'll remember it forever. Yeah, and especially because they won. I mean, it was a big win, too. Going into exactly. a buy 4-1. Yeah, for sure. All right, Charlie, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Hey, you got it, Patrick. Talk to you soon, man. All right, I'm now joined by another Buffalo Bills fan who made the trek from Western New York down to Nashville, Jack Palera. What's going on, Jack? How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Pat? I'm doing really good. Where in Western New York are you from? I'm actually from the North Town, so I'm in from I'm from uh, Weefield, New York. Okay, that's Western New York. That's all that matters. One and the same. How long have you been a Buffalo Bills fan for? Uh, I've been a Bills fan since I can remember following football. I mean, um, you know, I'm I'm 27 years old, so I didn't really get a chance to see them through the golden years, you know, the early 90s or anything, because I was pretty much being born at that time. So. But I did, you know, I did get to see most of the drought. I did suffer through it and uh, was able to uh, overcome it with everyone else when we finally made that uh, push. You know, in some ways, I feel like being a younger Buffalo Bills fan can even be harder because you never, you were too young, so you never really got to ever experience what it felt like to win an AFC championship, go to the Super Bowl, and be a perennial Super Bowl contender. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, you talk about you talk to people who still call it rich stadium and, um, you know, they're like, well, you you guys, you, you're just you don't know. You don't know anything about like what a what a really good team is in Buffalo. And when you see it, you know, you'll you'll understand. What would you probably consider your favorite Buffalo Bills memory to this point? Well, I mean, there's so many, but I, I think that, you know, my favorite my favorite memory, honestly, um, was probably the Mario Williams signing. I think that um, in free agency, when um, the Bills were able to get a, such a, you know, such a big, big ticket name such as Mario, um, I think that it really, it, it, you know, kind of made made me think that things were kind of swinging around for the Bills. I mean, obviously, it took a few more years after that, but well, if nothing else, Mario Williams certainly generated excitement. So you've been to plenty home games, I'm sure. Have you ever been on a road trip to a game previous to this one? Um, yeah, I actually. So, so um, a few years ago, um. My friends and I decided that what we're going to do each year is we're actually going to go try to go to one uh, one road game every year. And we started in 2015 um, with the uh, with a trip to MetLife to go see a Thursday night game uh, against the Jets. Where else have you been to? The we went to the Jets. Um, I think we actually skipped a year in 2016, and then, or I'm sorry, it was 2016. We went to the Jets. 2017, we skipped a year. Uh, just couldn't decide on where we wanted to go. And last year we went to the uh, home opener week one in Baltimore, which was, uh, um, you know, as we know, it was a, it was a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> how did you guys get down to Nashville? Who did you go with? And how long in advance did you plan this trip? Uh, yeah, actually. So what's funny about this trip is, uh, you know, I wanted to tell you this. Um, I was actually, I planned on going in the off season when the schedule released because I was like, you know, Nashville's a great city. I've always wanted to visit it. Sure. Um, I've never seen anything Nashville and I'm a big country fan. So, um, I was like, let's go, you know, let's make it happen. And then I got a new job. Uh, the job kind of, uh, took away what I was able to do. Now, uh, you know, we're looking at probably last Monday. So, 
Um, my buddy calls me and says, hey, one of the guys trapped out. Are you really sure you can't make it? I said, you know what? It's, it's a calling sign. So let me go ahead and just try to make it work. You know, worked it out with my manager and uh, ended up driving up on Friday at 4 in the morning. Oh, wow. So you didn't know before this past week that you were even going to be able to go to the Buffalo Bills game in Nashville. Exactly. So what's funny is I travel for work, right? So I, I, uh, I was in New York City two days prior to traveling, uh, for Nashville. So I come home Thursday night from New York City only to pack my stuff, you know, and then go again right on the road to uh, Nashville. Where did you guys end up staying when you were in Nashville? So we got an Airbnb, uh, in East Nashville, um, you know, just about five minutes outside of the city. It, it was, um, it was not the best area, but it was actually a very nice house. So we, uh, you know, we enjoyed it. All right, so let's fast forward to Saturday here. What's the vibe like going around town in Nashville? Now, Nashville is a very transient city. Just like I lived down here in Florida after living in Buffalo all my life. I know firsthand what that is like. Nobody from Florida, everyone lives in Florida, but nobody's actually from Florida. They're from somewhere else. And that's kind of like how Tennessee is. And I'm sure that the residents there are very used to Opposing teams coming into town, it's a nice place to go to. Nashville, people want to go there. So other fan bases will come into town when Tennessee's hosting them. And that's one thing, but Buffalo Bills Mafia, as we all know, is like a completely different animal. What was the vibe like on Saturday? Uh, Pat, I can tell you this much. You couldn't walk five steps without seeing a Bills fan. If anyone knows that Nashville, uh, Nashville's uh, main popular street for the bars is Broadway. Yeah. And, um, the, the rooftop bars there, they're immaculate. They're, they're amazing, you know, and they have a bunch of live music going on everywhere. Um, every single artist there is actually amazing too. And when you go down there, uh, when we don't went down there this weekend, you could not walk five steps without seeing a Bills fan, uh, and hearing, you know, the shout song from a different rooftop. It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. How were the locals in Nashville? What was their attitude like? Because let's face it. I mean, for one, two, three nights, whatever it may have been, Bill's Mafia went down to Nashville, kind of represented and took that town over. And listen, that's not no little town, man. We're talking Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. And you know what? It is crazy too, because you get talking to the, uh, get talking to the fans, you get talking to some natives and, uh, you realize, you know, there were a lot of people that came from Buffalo, but there's also a lot of people surrounding that area who actually are Bills fans to, sure. um, you know, make sure they make that trip. Um, every, you know, every time, every chance they get to come to Nashville. As a matter of fact, uh, the Nashville Bill backers, um, they did have a uh, tailgate party and, um, they sold out tickets within, I believe, hours of it, uh, opening. So, um, thankfully I was able to get a ticket because, uh, the person that dropped out also had a ticket and that was just another experience. How was itself. it? How was it? Oh my gosh. That was amazing. I mean, you know, you get, you get a chance to see it at the home games, right? Because you know that you know, there are obviously going to be Bills fans there, but, Never anywhere have I been. I've never experienced so many fans um, of an away of an of a of an away opponent going to you know cheer on their uh, cheer on their team. I mean, like I said, I've been to uh, MetLife. I've been to Baltimore. Both uh, both uh, stadiums are closer than Nashville, and I couldn't even imagine like this footprint that uh, the Bills had in that stadium. Uh, was uncomparable to what I've ever seen. People in Buffalo, it's one thing to go to a Bills game in Buffalo. Everyone's from Buffalo. Everyone's supposed to be a fan, but do you feel like you kind of get a bond with whoever you may be, whether it's your best friend or whether it's a complete stranger when you travel on the road? Because now these are people who are supporting the team. Maybe they might live in that area, but for the most part, you mentioned it, whether they live down south 
and they came up to Tennessee or whether they came all the way down from Western New York like you did. It's kind of like you guys, at least for a weekend, Bill's my, it's like you're one and the same. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're old, if you're young, doesn't matter. You're all Buffalo Bills fans and you kind of feel that bond. It feels a little bit stronger when you're on the road like you guys were. Absolutely. And you know what? It's funny that you say that too, because once, once the tailgate ended, obviously we were all walking on, you were all walking together and you know, you just hear the shout song, you hear the, you hear the chant, you hear the, Hey, and uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's reciprocating that, you know, it just, for a moment, I mean, you know, with all the, with all the crazy things we have going on in the world for that moment, you just cherish exactly what's going on and exactly what's, what you're experiencing this was probably a once in a lifetime experience. And I, I don't really know how or why so many people traveled to Nashville, but I think it had a little bit to do with what um, that Twitter poll uh, argument that where the uh, Tennessee Titans fans were uh, quote, quote unquote, buying votes um, to, you know, make sure that they uh, won the Twitter poll, which is so silly, but it's absolutely true. Tennessee Titans fans bought votes on Twitter and won NFL best fans over Buffalo you know how Bills Mafia is, they don't play that. So they come and invade, the, invade your house. That's just, it's so Buffalo. That's just the way it is. So anyway, getting inside the stadium, you're inside Nissan Stadium. What's your take there? What's that vibe like inside that stadium? So as I wanted to make sure I mentioned this, as we were walking to the stadium, the the roads were flooded with blue and red and sure. I couldn't believe how many fans were there. It was, it was, it was, um, very apparent and you could see that even like some of the Tennessee Titans fans, whether native or not, they were just, you know, looking at us and saying, Hey, we're outnumbered here. Yeah. It, so, felt, um, it, I, it felt to me like watching it on television. Obviously it's a completely different world for you because you're inside that stadium. But I was telling the guy I spoke with earlier, it felt to me like at worst it was a neutral game, but I'm, at times I'm sure it felt like for you that you got you almost like a home game. I mean, the, the crowd was just as loud when Marcus Mariota was under center during critical times as it was when Josh Allen was under center. And you know what? That it was the exact same vibe that we got in the uh, in the audience too, uh, being there. Um, I mean, the defense was uh, when the defense was on. You know, we were just as loud, making sure that I mean that we got false starts on their you know away, and you know that means something. I mean, they they were obviously they were obviously feeling the you know the the twelfth man there. Now, what's what's also funny about it is, you know, you have you have these young players on the uh, on the roster uh, in Buffalo, and they're talking, and you know, they're saying, "Well, this is something that I've never experienced either." And even Sean McDermott said it himself. Yeah. Um, you're looking you're looking at a transcendent team who, you know, coming off of the four, coming off of the bye is four and one, and you're looking at an easy schedule after that too. So, I mean, this is the first time, and I've you know, I I personally run a a, a little bit of a podcast with. A friend of mine, um, uh, we just do it, you know, as, as, a, as a fun thing. But, um, you know, we've been saying it this whole year. This team feels different. This vibe, this city, it just feels different this year. And, you know, we're starting to see it come into, come into something. Yeah. I mean, Bill's, like I said, Bill's Mafia legitimate, not just words, man. They legitimately pretty much took over one of the larger cities in the U.S. Did you stay around for a little bit after the game? Did you stick around or were you right out of there? Or did you make a quick exit is out? Because I know, how it could be trying to get out of a football stadium at times. Did you guys hang around, just soak it in, or did you say, you know what, it's been a long couple of days, let's get the hell away from here? 
Well, I mean, you know how much trouble we can get in Nashville with all those bars, but we definitely stuck around. I mean, we didn't make the draft for no reason. So um, we stuck around. We, um, you know, definitely felt the atmosphere. Um, we seen the Tennessee Titan fans leaving early because they, you know, the the game was out of grasp for them. They felt, um, which, you know, which was appalling to me because it was still a one score game up until the end. So I, I don't know why they gave up so early, but, um, you know, not many people travel as much. You know, it, it just goes to show you that. Not many fans travel as well as the Bills Mafia does. Yeah, last question here, and I'm sure it's pretty rhetorical, but looking back now, the time you had over the weekend, the travel time that you got to drive there and back, the money that it costs, all the expenses throughout the weekend to make the trip, is it worth it for you? Is it something you want to go do again? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, like I said, you know, a few years ago, we already set, we already set the president that we uh, want to make sure we're going to uh, one away game each year. And, uh, you know, it was very uh, discouraging last year when we went to Baltimore and we got blown out and, you know, not to mention it was raining, like, you know, raining like hell over there. And, you know, this, and this vibe, you know, in the beginning, uh, we're talking about, you know, we get a little bit of rainstorm in the beginning. Um, it cleared up for the game, but you know, you kind of have some, uh, you gotta, you kind of have some afterthoughts of it thinking, thinking back to how, you know, we got blown out in Baltimore. We're, kind of fearing that, you know, maybe this could be the same game. Cause I mean, Tennessee was a, uh, Tennessee is a team that uh, is uh, inconsistent. They're either really good or really bad. Yeah. So, you know, it just, it, it was a great vibe. I, I, I couldn't believe, uh, you know, the atmosphere there. Um, it, it honestly felt like um, the Buffalo Bills were a ho- the home team and Sunday's Titans were the away team. So uh, I can't wait to go to the next one. Next one's going to be Vegas next year. I'm sure Vegas will be great. You know, I talked to a couple of the players on the Bills since the game on Sunday, and several of them have also tweeted out. They're not just saying it. They really mean it. These guys are completely and utterly blown away by the support that Bills Mafia gives this team, obviously at home, which is to be expected, but especially when they take the show on the road. It just blows people away, including the players themselves. So on that note, thanks a lot, Jack. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for popping on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me. All right, I saved the best for last. My third and final Bills Mafia member to talk with the segment about Nashville. Not just a fan, she's an active Bills Mafia lady. And it just so happens that her husband is on the Buffalo Bills. One of my favorite Buffalo Bills wifeys ever, Shelby Waddle. What's going on, Shelby? How you doing? I'm good, you know, just enjoying some Taco Bell in the office and, you know, living the dream every day. (laughs) (laughs) For people out there listening who might not have heard the podcast, I had you on before. It was episode 106 back in late March. Tell people to go back, listen to that. We talked about your whole life story pretty much from beginning to present, how you met your husband. It was a lot of fun. That was a good episode. So people go back and, and check that out. You did go to Nashville last weekend for some Buffalo Bills party, and that's what this segment's about. A buddy of mine on Twitter had tweeted out a pic of you taking a pic with her on Saturday. I didn't know that until I saw it. I was like, oh, shit, Shelby's there. So, oh, yeah. again, this segment's about Bills Mafia kind of taking over Nashville, and we'll talk about that in a second. But first, you know, I do got to ask you. I got you on the podcast now. Just want to see how the hubby's feeling right now. How's it coming along? He's doing great. He is, you know, that he went and saw the doctor and, you know, he's ahead of schedule and, you know, working hard at PT, you know, all the time. And he's back to walking without crutches, which is great. Sure. And, you know, I don't have to carry everything now, which is even better. <laughs> um, and I hate to see him hurt. You know, I hate to see him any type of way that's not 
perfect him, which he is perfect. So, um, he's, he's doing great. I, uh, yeah, he, I know he's perfect because you let me know that the first time. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that oh, we yeah. Talk, I'll but... let everybody know every time. <laughs> but on a serious note too, not only you got to be physically strong to come back from a significant injury, which he is, is on his way to doing, but I also imagine that at least initially anyway, it has to take a little bit of toll on him and you emotionally. Again, especially early on when it first happens, you know, just not Honestly, just the physical, emotional, but as well. Yeah. Honestly, he is so strong mentally, and that's one of the things that <laughs> I'm not as great at, um, you know, because for me, I get real frustrated really easy, and, you know, when we go golfing, I'm snapping my golf clubs and throwing them in the pond, <laughs> and he's able to just take things as they come and just go on, and this is a part of football, and, you know, he's done it before with his ACL, and came back and we're firm believers that everything happens for a reason. And so he's great mentally. He has been since it happened and he just takes it as it comes. So if anybody's got to be worried about me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but he's doing great in all aspects. I'd imagine teammates and the organization's been supportive of a lot. Obviously I know the fans are. Oh yeah, absolutely. The fans are always great. And obviously we love, Bill's Mafia and love Buffalo. So uh, we hope to be back next year, but that's not really up to us. So, um, but like you said, he's doing great and best as you could be. So, and I'm sure he'll come back. I'm confident he's done it before. I know he'll do it again. Let's turn our attention towards Nashville. What made you decide yep. to head up last weekend, Nashville? And what did you see in terms of Bill's fans pretty much taking over a very famous town? I mean, literally pretty much took it over. Yeah, that was amazing. So we stayed downtown. Um, we could see the stadium. We walked to the stadium from um, our hotel on game day, but we had, which is close to Broadway Street, and we went down to Broadway, and <laughs> you literally could not see one Titans fan there. Like, it was wild. Yeah. It was amazing. And Bill's Mafia showed up and showed out, as they always do, and the game was even better. So... You know, anybody that says that Bill's fans aren't the best is <laughs> sorely mistaken. The fans in Buffalo just seem different. You know, it would be one thing if you were in Buffalo for a home game. You would expect that kind of crowd and yeah. that kind of buzz going around. But to go to a yeah. road game, and it's not even like Cleveland, which is like three hours down the road, or Pittsburgh, three and a half hours down the road. You're talking Nashville. That's what, a 10, 13-hour drive, something like that from Buffalo. And there was a lot of people who came from Buffalo to go to Nashville, that crowd, it just, it never seems to amaze you, ain't it? Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And we actually, so we, um, we got there Thursday and Friday, we did a segment with their news channel, uh, down there that covered, um, kind of like a follow up from, from when we raised all that money, uh, via Twitter to, uh, after the whole, Tell fans about scandal. that. Tell fans a little <laughs> bit about that because some of them might have forgotten or some people listening might not even know. Tell them what you're talking about. I know. What well, you're first up, I don't know how you could forget that because that was wild. Um, but for the people who don't know, a uh, while back, I, I honestly don't even remember what month it was. Uh, there was a Twitter poll put out by Fox Sports. I want to say it was yep. for who was the best fan base. And uh, you know, obviously we're with the Bills now. And so, of course, you know, I'm going to rally around and basically threaten people to vote and t- tell them if they don't, I'm going to shoot spitballs at their head. <laughs> so they do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, they showed up and showed out and 
we made it to the final four and we were up against the Titans fan base. And, you know, to me, that was kind of weird because it's like the Titans are kind of irrelevant. Like they're, they're yeah. not like a big fan base. They're not a well-known fan base like the Cheeseheads or, you know, even like the Pats and people seem to gravitate towards, you know, certain teams. And even if they don't live there, they always tend to kind of gravitate towards certain teams. And so it was just kind of weird to me, but I was like, oh, whatever, let's just beat their ass and move on. And so unfortunately we didn't move on. And it turned out after, you know, we were winning for whatever, how long the vote things went, Right. we were winning pretty much the whole time. And then I want to say it was like a day before or a few hours before they mysteriously bought or mysteriously got uh like 40,000 votes. And it turned out that they had bought those votes. And <laughs> ridiculous which to me, it, yes, it is ridiculous. And it's, it's just wild that someone would spend thousands of dollars to not only cheat their way to the finals, but pretty much sleep their way to the middle. They lost. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, they ended up losing to the Browns fan base final, which is funny to me. Um, but they ended up, you know, like I said, cheating. And I said, well, what better way to prove that we're a better fan base than to essentially, you know, choose a charity in their city and donate money to it. And so I had different people sending me charities and one of them kind of sparked my interest. And that was the national children's Alliance. And what they do is they help and give back to, um, you know, kids who are mentally, physically, sexually abused. Um, and I had personally gone through that as a child. And so we ended up choosing them and we raised over $18,000 in less than a week. And that was all through Twitter. And so it was wild because, I ended up having to pretty much cut it off because I was like, you know, I, I'm proud of, you know, Bill's Mafia. But at the same time, like, I want to help the kids in Buffalo. Right. And so um, we'll get back to that later. But so we went down there and we did follow up to that to see where all that money went, because that's really important to me. Obviously, Buffalo is full of hardworking people that, you know, earn their money a very, you know, honest way. And so to donate money at, at all in general is amazing. And so I'd like to, you know, basically show people where it goes. And so, um, you know, it was amazing to go down there and see that. Yeah. And that's absolutely awesome. You know, I'm going to say this Tennessee Titans fans suck. I know a lot of fans. They really like, do. I'm, I've, <laughs> I said this last week on my podcast. Okay. I'm old enough. I've, I've been around. I've been in sports media. I've bartended. I'm, I know so many people. I don't legitimately know one single Tennessee Titans fan, but they, yeah, they buy Twitter polls and this and that. And then the players, I mean, Taylor Luan, what he said earlier this week about Shaq Lawson, I mean, just so stupid. Not to mention, and props to Jordan Phillips for who had three sacks for showing exactly on film, on Twitter, exactly Shaq Lawson beating that guy like a mule on an inside rush that led to a Bills sack. But everything about that Titans team or the, and their fan base just kind of pisses me off. Well, and you know, the thing about Taylor, I'm not going to get too much into that, but it's just wild to me. Like you just lost and you just right. came back from a PED suspension. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really understand that, what but the, you know, yeah, just man. different type of folks that, you know, get real rowdy over certain things and you know, it is what it is. But as far as the fan base, I know a lot of them don't like me very much, uh, <laughs> but that's because I made them look bad and I hung a bill's flag in their, you know, Nashville children's Alliance. I'm sure they're real happy about that, but <laughs> 
sometimes you just got to let them know who's who's the boss, you know, and clearly we are. So you really enjoy interacting with the fans. And I'm I mean, obviously, I am talking about Twitter, but I'm not just talking on Twitter like you. You get out and you will physically interact, hang out with Buffalo Bills fans, whether it's at a some sort of charitable event or just going to Nashville, whatever it may be. You're always down to do that. You're always down. I always see people on Twitter, especially over this past weekend. I saw plenty of pictures of fans taking pictures with you. I feel like you take a lot of pride in that, don't you? I do. And big thing for me is I like to kind of let people know that not just because, you know, I'm married to a football player doesn't mean that I think that I'm hot shit and that I'm better than everybody because I'm not, you know. Right. I'm not any better than the person that served me this Taco Bell because if they weren't there, then I wouldn't have this Taco Bell. So, you know, and it's it's a big thing for me to kind of try and break that stereotype because you may have seen after, you know, a few of those photos that someone just basically calls me a gold-digging whore. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that people don't realize that I ran a company for six years. Yeah. So, you know, and I do have my own business and, but that, that's how social media works. And there's, of course, you know, keyboard warriors that love to act like they're tough in their mom's sure. basement. And that's all right. And that's all they'll ever be. And it's one thing to put people down and to try and do it over social media, but to lift people up is a totally different thing. And, you know, that's what we want to do. And that's, you know, what I want to do is, you know, when people say, oh, I was afraid to ask you to take a picture. I'm like, why? (laughs) To me, it's wild that people would be afraid to approach me because it's like, trust me, I'm the girl in a 4XL hoodie going to the grocery store, not wash my hair in five days. Like, (laughs) I am no different from anybody else. And especially the people in Buffalo, obviously, I'm from Detroit area. And so very similar people, you know, like I said, blue collar, hardworking people. And so we both come from, you know, real honest, working, hardworking families. And so, you know, my dad was a cop and my mom and, you know, family on that side ran a gravel truck company, like they own gravel trucks. And it's like, you can't get any more redneck than that. So it's (laughs) like crazy to me, like I said, that people would be afraid to approach me. And so that's why, you know, I do take pride in, you know, talking to fans and letting them know that, you know, I'm not better than anybody else. My husband just happens to have a cool job. And, you know, we live our life just like everybody else. Go to work and he goes to work and I do my stuff during the day and that's about it. So, you know, now you've been with normal L- people. <laughs> you've been with L.A. and Detroit. You've been with L.A. and New England and they won two Super Bowls. You, yeah. You're with them now. With Buffalo, have you, did you, is there, there cannot be many two, or many times, I should say, where you've seen the kind of fans that you saw this past weekend on the road. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure that yeah. Detroit or even New England, as great as they are, that their fans travel quite like that because, again, from the videos I saw and the photos I saw and testimony of people that I've talked to so far and what you're telling me, I mean, it legitimately, it seemed like Buffalo County came into Nashville and took over that oh, town yeah. for a few days. They really did. And it was wild. You know, when we, you know, you've seen the pictures and I'm sure everybody's seen the pictures of, you know, the Bills fans leaving the game. And, you know, like I said, to to be fair, you know, the 12 Titans fans that were there left early because they (laughs) lost. So, you know, it's you got to throw that asterisk in there. So people really know that there were 12 fans there that were for the Titans. So, you know, (laughs) just, just to be fair with that, but it absolutely was wild. And it's, makes us proud to be a part of, you know, something so special like that. 
before I let you go, and I love chatting with you, we could talk all night. I'm most certainly oh, yeah. going to get you back on the podcast again in the near future. But tell people who may not know right now a little bit about Waddle's Warriors. Yeah, so Waddle's Warriors Foundation is, you know, obviously a foundation that L.A. and I created. Um, and it was actually kind of sparked by the whole Twitter cheating scandal because um, we had wanted to create a foundation for a while. Um, but, you know, we have no hard feelings towards any fan base that we've been with. But sure. at the same time, when we were in, you know, New England, it was kind of like we were nobody. You know, it's like you're going up against Giselle and these supermodels and who the hell am I? Right. You know, So it's like. For, to, for us to go to Buffalo and, you know, for me to interact and, you know, talk with people, it really kind of gave us the sense of, like, this is home. And so this was where we wanted to start our foundation. Obviously, it's not ideal that L.A. is hurt and not playing, but it also, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And so for him to be here with me to kind of help me with the foundation and to be at certain events, you know, that we have throughout the season is really awesome. And so what Waddles Warriors is, is we give back to two groups. Um, and a lot of people are kind of like, well, why two groups? And I'll kind of get into that. But uh, the first group is veterans and first responders. And um, like I said, my dad was a cop for 35 years and my brother actually was an, is an Iraq veteran. And so they're obviously amazing people that sacrifice their lives. And a lot of them do, you know, lose their lives um, on the line. And so, we just, you know, owe them so much and we respect them so much. And so we wanted to, you know, give back to them. And then the other side of it is underprivileged kids as well as abused children. As like I said, I went through that and, you know, he was he was given everything that he absolutely needed, but not much more than that. And so any way that we can better the lives of children is, you know, something that we're, of course, going to do. And so we just pretty much do everything that we can to do that. And so we, you know, are focused in Buffalo right now since we're in Buffalo and that's pretty much how it is. <laughs> it's great stuff. Lots of, so much respect for both you and LA. That's that really, that, that really is awesome. Everyone give Shelly a follow on Twitter at Mrs. Wad 74. Also check out waddleswarrior.org. I will put a link up to that in the show notes as well. Shelby, thanks very much for popping on the podcast again. Telling us about the Nashville experience, Water Warriors, all that stuff. Definitely going to have you back on again in the pretty near future. We'll have a nice long chat. Absolutely. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Big thank you again, Chad D. Dominicis from Die by the Blade, as well as Shelby Waddle, one of my favorite people out there. I absolutely love talking to Shelby. Thanks as well to a couple of Buffalo Bills fans, Charlie and Jack, for coming on the podcast, telling us your Buffalo Bills fan stories going on in Nashville last week. That was really good stuff. Coming up on the podcast next week, not sure if it's going to be on Tuesday or Friday's episode next week yet, but I got an interview with Chris and Ledlow, who is a very, very popular TV host and anchor for NBA TV she also co-hosts NBA Inside Stuff with Grant Hill. And, of course, she's a sideline reporter for NBA on TNT. She's awesome. Everything about her is awesome. Cannot wait to bring that to you next week. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes 
You're going to get them before anyone else does. You can find us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Feature award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. That helps us grow the show. Also, make sure you go check out the Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Besides highlight clips from current and past episodes of this podcast, we now have plenty of original audio content. We call it Moran Analytics Podcast Extras. They're exclusive to that YouTube channel. Not going to hear it anywhere else. Find Moran Analytics Podcast on YouTube. Hit that little red subscribe button down just below the videos and that little bell right next to it so you can get notifications when new content is released. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, corny jokes, all kinds of other stuff. Again, Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time, man. I really, truly mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day to give this podcast a listen twice a week, once a week, whatever it may be. Very grateful, very humble, very thankful for all you. Enjoy the weekend. Talk to you soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.